Prime Minister Boris Johnson. <gasps> That's right. Dead serious about shaking hands with everybody. Uh, you'll be pleased to know. <laughs> <laughs> Every day of time. Uh, so good. <laughs> Welcome to this bonus episode of TF, one we have never bonus recorded episode. before. Uh, it mm. is Riley. I'm here in the lockdown studios with Alice. Yeah, it's me from a secure, undisclosed location. Uh, yes, and from a sunny, undisclo- undisclosed location also is Hussein and Milo. Uh, Hi. Hello. Yes. Tricked you into hey, saying. I'm in. I- I'm in Osama bin Laden's compound in Pakistan. <laughs> Wait, it's not like he was using it. Yeah. <laughs> I have tricked you both into saying hello at once, thereby doing the audio equivalent of the Three Stooges turn around quickly with a two by four trick. <laughs> um, mm. Do you think like Osama bin Laden like would have been really good at using Zoom, considering how long he was like iso- how-, how long he isolated? <laughs> well, yeah, that's really good. He was the really first bad. TikTok star because he was <laughs> releasing all those short videos. <laughs> Um, yeah, he was an early in- adopter of working from home yeah, to all that interesting music. But before we go on, we also have Wendy Liu uh, at Dell System, the author of Abolish Silicon Valley, a three-time guest and friend of the show. Wendy, welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me again. Uh, she is also calling in from a sunny, undisclosed location in America. Mm. Um, no, see- we're all in individual bunkers. I've just all of a cursed reference. Okay, Boomer Laden. <laughs> That's good. But dressed up as Osama bin Laden. Uh huh. That's right. And and you know what? Now that uh, America is certainly headed for another four years of Donald Trump being in charge of it, um, I bet they're both going to be targets of the security services. Uh, But Hmm. seriously, folks, uh, our prime minister. Very excited for the OK Boomer girl to just get assassinated with a ricin umbrella. (laughs) That's the level of like, uh, like fucking cartoonish evil and also weirdness that we can come to expect from the next four years. But what we're looking at right now is in the UK, uh, Boris Johnson, the prime minister, uh, is unwell. He's in hospital with the coronavirus. Um, Hmm. Yeah. Oh no, they shouldn't have put him in hospital with the coronavirus. That's the last <laughs> thing we wanted to have. Uh, yeah. uh, after merely shaking hands with everybody who had the coronavirus and like allowing them to cough into his open mouth and then saying that, oh, I'm not worried about contracting this coronavirus because if I got it, I would simply survive, he appears to have gotten the coronavirus yes. and become this, very unwell. If, if anything, this shows the real in important issues of getting mail order bath water and not doing tests of it beforehand. We should not be like, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be getting the masses to like do coronavirus tests. We should be ensuring that every e-girl tests themselves before sending out the product. That's right. That's, that's quarantine. That's, that's 21st century quarantine. But look, on, on a serious note, you know, uh, a lot of people, some, some people are saying this will matter. Uh, it probably won't. Uh, either he'll be healed and he'll continue being prime minister as he would have been, or Dominic Robb will take <laughs> yeah, either, over. Either the cleric will fucking like do a touch and like lesser restoration on him. No, no, no. Or or Dominic Robb will take over as PM and govern in more or less the exact same way because be more jacked about it. Yeah, he'd be mm. he'd do more adult karate basically. Well, all the, all the right wing trad guys are like Dominic Robb is based, so they're really excited about. A possibility of Dominic Rob taking over because they'll basically have like a, like an MRA uh, leading the country, which I feel like on this trajectory probably does make sense. Mm. A jackass government led by Dominic Rob himself. <laughs> Imagine looking at Dominic Rob and being like, mm, "Yes, based. Yes, cool. I love the I love the I love the different shapes that his face is. I love. It'd be great <laughs> to just try and frame all of his angles and edges. He's dark side Matt Hancock. I mean, oh my god. I mean, I mean, you laugh about this, but like, I can totally see like Flora Gill writing something in Vogue about how like you're actually all really thirsty for Matt Hancock's extremely smooth head. Uh, also, Flora, Flora Gill needs to be told to stop posting. Please. <laughs> also please, true. Please, but he is, he is dark Matt Hancock. Like, he does karate instead of parkour to learn about his body. Mm. Um, yeah, he's got the same, like, receding hairline, but he's, like, got, responded to it in a very different way. 
It's great. It's real like Batman versus Superman, and then they'll end up like bonding over yeah. the fact that like their mother has the same name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Matt Hancock is a Labrador, but Dominic Raab is a Rottweiler. All right, All right. <laughs> that's correct. Uh, that's correct. But I want to go into a little bit into uh, why on earth this was allowed to happen. So the the Reuters article is this long read about exactly what happened, why our coronavirus strategy was so different from all the other countries when it was clear that we were on the same path as them. And there's one passage that uh, sort of really evokes the executive's attitude to uh, dealing with this outbreak, which um, I think is kind of why we ended up with the PM in hospital, uh, which is uh, this. Interviews and records published so far suggest that the scientific committees that advised Johnson didn't study until mid-March the option of the kind of stringent lockdown adopted early on in China, where the disease arose in December, and then followed by much of Europe and finally in Britain itself. The scientists' reasoning was that Britons, many of them assumed, wouldn't accept these kinds of restrictions. So it's a, yeah, a, country, it's of, it's a country of handshakers and pub goers and huggers and people <laughs> who go to the Cheltenham race. And so it, it's just completely no surprise that, we've, that this is what happened. Yeah, the British people have had enough of experts. They, they, I mean, they'll never surrender to Islam, which means, and like, what is a lockdown if not a nationwide burqa? <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a country of freedom, right? You guys like freedom. Mm. America likes freedom more, but you guys also like freedom. So just yeah. can't give that We're up. We're all rugged individualists. Yeah, we like we like freedom, but we also like the ability to just call the cops on your neighbor. Like, yeah, that was the only way you could have gotten us to accept this was like the anonymous tip line. <laughs> so have you seen? There was a thing that came out yesterday. Like, various police uh, like uh, constabularies released a statement about like they've been getting fucking hundreds of phone calls a day from people saying like, "Oh, my neighbor's been out of the house more than once." Like, that is the most British energy possible. It's just like a full blown like if if like if Britain had been under Stalin, like everyone would have been fucking uh, disappeared. Like everyone would have been calling the yeah. cops. Who came to be on each other million all the time. person circular firing squad as we each take the macker off to each other. Tens of thousands of people didn't die. They just went out for a jog and they haven't come home yet. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that what, what they really did here was that like there is so much manufacturing of consent in this country around the theme of the Blitz spirit and that. Where mm. nothing bad could ever happen to Britain, um, and so when something bad happened to Britain, they just sort of they did they weren't the scientists themselves weren't able to kind of make the mental leap that something bad was going to happen. They just sort of said, "Well, it'll be all right. <laughs> Probably well, it'll listen, be fine." <laughs> if the Luftwaffe are going to bomb London, the British people simply won't accept being told to go to air raid shelters. <laughs> no, they won't. They have. They don't have pubs in them. They have to. Do, they have to go for the jog. They have to do it. Mm, and and if you're the prime true. minister, you need to be seen to glad hand the coronavirus patients because then, <laughs> well, of course you do because that's the job of a prime minister, and you can't be shown to be afraid of a disease. It's very small. Yeah. People the, are the think only you're surprise. Weak. The only surprise here is that the papers have been caught kind of on the wrong foot with this, and so they're, they're being very sentimental about this, they're being like, pull through Boris, instead of doing their usual thing, which would be to find the coronavirus patient who infected him and dox them. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of just like the, the British people being like, oh, these science boffins is telling me I can't go on the tube and lick the other passengers. What's next? Telling me to go to the mosque. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and now, of course, um, now I also I'm, I'm aware that we, we, we have that uh, as, as Wendy lives in America, she's not sort of as plugged into what's going on over here. But Wendy, you used to live over here. How does this jive with your memories of Britain? Oh my God. I mean, this, I feel like it, it's less about my memories of Britain and more about the overall moment that we're in, where we have mm. so much incompetence going on, you know, and in the US as well. And it's been really interesting here because, you know, Trump doesn't have coronavirus, but he's backtracked so much. Like at the beginning, he and most of his administration was kind of just like, yeah, this is not a big deal. It's just like this Chinese thing. We'll just not have flights to China. And then now, obviously, it's like a lot of cities are being locked down. Some states are being locked down. And it's just a complete like 180. And I think, I mean, with Boris Johnson getting sick, it's almost, um, 
it almost, you almost had to like see this coming because like, how else was this, how else were we going to get to the point where the UK took it seriously? <laughs> I, I don't know. Mm. I think it, if he didn't get it, then maybe, yeah. Also partly that like the modern politician like with the exception of the left populace who actually like wanted the state to do things or just they've never really understood the state as being there to do anything. It's just something no. that it's it's something that's there it's something as to like cut. limiting where the market can go and trying to make it go more places. And it's like they've sold off all their tools and all they have is a hammer and they're looking at screwing at screwing in a, a, a screw and they're like, oh, I guess I could try and use this hammer. Yeah, you know what's really funny is the funniest manifestation of this to me is that the really, like, of course people have been on the hunt for, like, problematic leftists making problematic jokes about the Prime Minister, but it all of the really, like, obscene sentiment about Boris has come from his own colleagues. Uh, I, I forget, I think it was Michael Gove, it was or maybe Duncan it was Ian, du it was it was Ian, Ian Duncan Smith. Smith, yeah, who said that like he wa he wasn't working hard enough to fight off the virus. <laughs> well, they all, they, when, it, when, when it comes to requiring like aid or compassion or improving something about someone's life, they only have one tool, which is harsh. Just go harsher. Mm. Or open yeah. up the markets. They open the markets, they try to do sanctions, they've done both of those by yelling at Boris to try to make him do a work capacity <laughs> assessment, and then they've tried to say, ah oh, yes, we'll let Dyson invent what a, what a ventilator is now, and none of it's <laughs> working, because these tools are awful, and they're the tools hmm. of stupid people who are very ineffectual. But one, one, the last thing I want to talk about about this before we move on to another one more Britain thing and then some Silicon Valley stuff where I promise we are not going to just uh, keep keep talking between our the doofus normal hosts of this show. We're going to ask Wendy quite a bit more up in there. Uh, but before we finish, we finish this section, I have to say, like the, the most baffling thing about this for me is that prominent journalists like John Rentoul is publicly calling <laughs> for an inquiry to not happen. Yeah, of course. Amazing. There, an article has been released that shows that the people in power knew about what was happening and were asleep at the fucking wheel because they just didn't have the, the, the capacity or the willingness to do anything about it, causing thousands of extra deaths just in the last couple of months, not even the decades of austerity that have run public services down to this level. And he's like, no, 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 no. We don't want to know why this happened because it'll never happen again. John Rental doesn't want an inquiry because he is a bat and he gave it to Boris Johnson by sucking his glove. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it, there definitely is kind of a universe where like John Rental is probably the only person who uh, is immune to the coronavirus and his blood is necessary in mm -hmm. order to create a vaccine. No, it's, it's uh, higher Bolsonaro. It's Bolsonaro's yeah, oh, shit, yeah, Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro has the Mr. Burns thing where like all the microbes try to get through the door at once. <laughs> no, no, he's got he's got Sam Porter Bridges blood, where he's the key <laughs> to spelling the BTS. But no, oh, no, he's so good at push-ups that the coronavirus can't defeat him. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I love push-ups. I even call them flexers. Uh, <laughs> Wendy, before we go back to the uh, before we go back, we move on. Uh, do you have any concluding ideas about this dumb country you use you once used to call home? I think it's over. Sorry, guys. That's I think we're just going to have to build something new. Yeah. Done. Uh, so read Alex Niven, New Model Island. Um, mm. Britain, 1703 to 2020. RIP. RIP. Pouring some non-alcoholic beer out for yeah. a real one. John, John Rental just write it, writing a note that just says no inquiry. Uh, sorry. Inquiry, inquiry's out, lads. No way. Stuck on his back. Yeah. Uh, so next week, I want to talk also about uh, the updates of the uh, sort of left populist democratic uh, uh, pushes. It's fucked, lads. Um, Electoral electoralism, also a casualty, yep. along with Britain. Yep. Keir Starmer is the leader of the Labour Party, and Bernie Sanders has officially dropped out of the race to become the leader of the Democratic Party, but we all kind of knew Reva this was coming. Reva Peltier 2020, baby. Yeah. Uh, Wendy, <laughs> what are your first thoughts on this before we start yelling about it? I mean, it's, it's, it's really sad. It's really frustrating. At the same time, I think this was kind of in the cards for a while, just because we're starting to see the limits of electoral politics, right? And, you know, I mean, we always knew this wasn't going to be easy. 
but it is really demoralizing to see just how difficult it's been. Um, and, you know, my heart goes out to all the people who've like volunteered or worked for Bernie's campaign, all the people who are activated by his campaign. I think the if there's like a, like a bright side to look forward to, if there's like any sort of glimmer of hope in the horizon, it's that the people who were activated by Bernie's campaign, they're not just going to go back to like politics as usual. They're They've been exposed to a way of doing politics that isn't just West Wing cosplay. And now they're like, shit, well, maybe this is just what we should be doing from now. And mm. that's kind of like where I have hope. Um, a thought that I've had- Same with Corbyn, right? Sorry. Uh, yeah. So a, a thought that I've had now is like, okay, well, if the Democratic Party is just like completely impenetrable, you know, you have all these vote blue, no matter who people who will just like never countenance Bernie. Is the Republican Party actually that much worse? And, you know, just like Trump, Trump tweeted about how uh, Bernie people should come to the Republican Party. I it's it. like, I love this know, post. It's one of the best how, posts of all time. It's really good. But also, like, how hard would that be? Because like the Tea Party, no one really saw that coming. And like, could we <laughs> could we find a way to just take over the Republican Party, talk to like people about their actual <laughs> issues and just like, you know, you want to like live a decent life. You you don't you don't want to go into debt because you don't have health care. And just like, you know, not talk about any of the like the bad shit and just see if people can be brought over. Maybe. Like, yeah. Th- three three YouTube people took over UKIP. Yeah. Oh, we're going to have a full episode on that coming out in a couple of weeks. But um, what I want to know, though, is how much would that plan fuck with Dinesh D'Souza? Because he's <laughs> <laughs> Democrats are the real race. Yeah. And, then and then he'd be right. Yeah. <laughs> we we would we would turn the world around Dinesh D'Souza in order to make him right by accident. I love this idea of just like just like a football game, you just switch sides at half time. So uh, in fact, I have this tweet here, which well, is that's which happened is great. with the Democrats and the Republicans yes, before. Yes, it literally has. We just go back, Lincoln Republicans. So I have the Trump tweet here, which again, fa- fantastic bit of analysis in it. Bernie is out. Thank you to Elizabeth Warren. If not for her, Bernie would have won almost every state on Super Tuesday. This ended just like the Democrats and DNC won. It's same as the crooked Hillary fiasco. And yeah, when the man's right, yeah. he's right. So yeah. good at posting. It's amazing. He's like the only person in like kind of establishment politics who will tell the truth about how corrupt the Democratic establishment are. And what rules about it is that the only reason that he hates them this much is because they like called his gold elevator gauche once in 1996. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely incredible. But like, yeah, Trump, Trump is more explicit and more honest about the Democratic Party than Bernie ever was. Bernie steadfastly refused to get negative. Even at the very end, when like Joe Biden was just like kind of like drooling on himself, Bernie would just go out there and say, well, Bernie's a very good friend of mine. He was, I mean, uh, Biden's a very good friend of mine. <laughs> he was, he was very Biden nice to me. You shut the fuck up. Go, go, go to Alice 30330. Yeah, but no, he he would still be like very collegial about it, and he still wanted to take the high road. And look where that got him. Listen, Bernie is a very good friend of mine, <laughs> and so is his wife and her boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's the thing, right? Like, yeah, I mean, and I I going to we 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 at TF wish uh, the Democratic Party that's made its choice uh, to take mm-hmm. Biden to rat fuck uh, to sideline and undermine the whole Sanders movement. Just like the Labour Party has done the same thing with Keir Starmer. That, and I would yeah. like to wish them good luck. This is like the whole point, right? So when Keir Starmer was elected as Labour leader, there were very few people who were talking actually about Keir Starmer, right? Even the whole mm. like fucking beer for Keir hashtag bullshit was really just about like, thank God that like our people are back in and Seamus Milne is out, right? That was like their Seamus whole focus Milne? and that still can, <laughs> still like continues. And this is, and and this is exactly the same with the Biden thing. Like even just before, I was just like looking on Twitter before we started and like all the conversations are either about, well, now the Bernie bros have to kind of like, you know, decide whether they want to vote blue or whether they're going to let Trump win another term or they were just really happy that like, well, we'll never get, we'll never see the Bernie Bernie Bros again, as if like mm-hmm. all podcasts are now yeah. like that's what they uh, want. Re- that's redundant. What they want. Now over to, to to which to which you, your choice that you've posed, right? I I feel like the the uh, the only answer is let Trump win, let fucking Dominic Raab or like the the bloated Emperor of Man corpse of Boris Johnson win, and they would rather do that. That's what they want to do. So like. They don't want to win the election. They just wanted oh. to get rid of the left, and they've done it. So, congrats, guys. We've been owned. Um, 
Yeah. yeah, and it, it's not spite, right? Like, we're not doing this just to be like, well, fuck you, although we are. We're also being like, mm. that. there is no route for left politics in electoralism anymore. We have to go back to mutual aid and some other things. We can't just fuck- No, just mutual aid. <laughs> we have to go back to only doing mutual like aid. sales. <laughs> yes. Mutual aid and things of that nature. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Look, mutual aid can take a lot of forms. Uh, there's a lot of ways to aid people mutually. Yes, but like, also, it's like you know, the, these two institutions, the DNC and Labor, they have immune systems, and those immune systems kicked us out. Uh, the one thing I'll say, though, uh, you know, when it came to changing the polis policies of an established party, uh, the left chose the momentum route, which was join the Labor Party and try to convince everyone, and the right did the UKIP route, which was threaten them in every single constituency unless they do what you want. And the Brexit party route, which was the same. Mm. Guess which one worked? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, like, I think I, we do, like, not to sell momentum short, right? Like, we got close we, in both times. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying, like, uh, there were idiots to do it. I'm just saying we now have laboratory conditions where we can look at the two different approaches. Yes, Cor Corbyn got close, Bernie got close. But I think that's also, like, a reflection of the futility of, of that is that, like, we had, in both cases, some of the most favorable circumstances we were ever going to get. You couldn't have asked for a better opponent than Joe Biden, for instance. And it wasn't enough. And if that's not enough, I don't think anything will be within the prism of established parties. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, so, it, and so, you know, you have to let's like, who's been successful? It's the right. And mm -hmm. like, if, if we want, if you, because they've been, what have they been successful at? Changing what the mainstream parties are doing. So, you know, and how they've done that? They've done it by, well, in the case of the, of the, um, you, of the American Republican Party, they just showed up and voted. Like, that worked for them. But in the case of the UK Conservative Party, they threatened them from the outside uh, with the UKIP and the Brexit Party. And that's why UKIP is all weird YouTubers now, because they don't have a purpose anymore, because they're just the Conservative Party now. But, um, but before we go to go further on, uh, on I, I want to sort of lay the Bernie thing to one side, because, you know, we're not American. Um, uh, and go a little bit more onto Keir Starmer before we talk to a little bit, a little bit about Silicon Valley and the abolition thereof, right? Um, once we've one of the things I've noted is that uh, we we've seen him uh, a lot of agreement with the government, basically sort of um, he seemed to have been sort of prepping his way to going into a government of national unity uh, mm -hmm. with the Tories. And you know he's simping. He, yeah. He's in Boris Johnson's replies, being like, "What's up, King? Looking and, great today." And we're being told by you know the media and commentariat that this is what a real opposition looks like. Um, and you know, I mean, slavish. One of the things is, I'll say, it's not as bad as it could be. It could be considerably worse. We were looking at Rachel mm -hmm. Reeves as the Chancellor of the Exchequer instead of the fake Chancellor that they made up to own Michael Gove. He gave her, he gave her like the shadow version of a fake job, which is the funniest <laughs> own. <laughs> She's she's the shadow version of Eric Trump's job in Donald Trump's media organization. <laughs> yeah, uh, shadow Eric. She's the Don Junior. She 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 is like the third octopus in the nativity play. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the one of the only times I've liked Boris Johnson was giving Michael Gove the job that gave him no power, but still made him come to all the cabinet meetings. <laughs> yeah, he gave him the little fake yes. steering wheel that Maggie Simpson uses. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, the other thing, right, is. Uh, Rachel Reeves gets to uh, oppose the way in which uh, Michael Gove chooses to use the Flintstone phone. <laughs> yeah, well, I would have, I would have pressed dinosaur, dinosaur, rock, dinosaur. <laughs> so here's the other thing, right? Uh, it's, it's oh, some of the shadow cabinet choices are, are are okay as well. Annalise Dodds, pretty good. Um, mm -hmm. uh, 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 you know, keeping some of the Corbin front bench, like in um, some yeah, of the Deborah Junior ministers. The soft, ministers, the soft left is is still there. It's the, the squishes. The hard left is purged ruthlessly. Ed, Ed Miliband, back and with better politics than he had in 2015, uh, being ruthlessly anti-Semitically caricatured by the Evening Standard, which no one seems to care about anymore, which is very, very annoying, because it seems like we've just decided to stop that, that, that we've decided to stop noticing that as a problem, even though it still very much is a problem. <laughs> It's almost as though anti-Semitism was only ever important as a way to undermine socialist politics. Yeah. 
And now, mm-hmm. like I, I saw, I saw a kind of well-intentioned take that was like, well, it's very bad that Labour is letting Islamophobes and transphobes back into the party, but at least they'll be taking anti-Semitism seriously now. And it's like, you sweet summer child, no, they absolutely won't. Like this is not going to be taken seriously, and you know what? Again, it fucking should be, and I don't think this group is going to. No, but uh, Keir Starmer did have a Zoom call, which has apparently resolved the problem. Mm-hmm. A great Zoom call. The best Zoom call, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and furthermore, it's all over the right-wing rags that uh, Keir Starmer declined to prosecute Jimmy Savile, quote, in the public interest a while ago when he was at the height of his crimes. So congratulations, centrists. Uh, I don't know if it's real or not, but fuck it. They seem to be saying it. So, hey, good luck with your guy. You're going to need it. So that isn't technically true, but like you're completely right in kind of saying, well, we all said before that none of this is going to matter. And like even kind of the most inoffensive of kind of left like democratic socialists, AKA Ed Miliband, who is back in the shadow cabinet now, um, got all the kind of, you know, uh, socialist stick from the press, which like buried him. And this is going to happen to Keir Starmer as well. Mm. And this is like almost a worse environment for it to happen because it's not even like the press that are directly doing it to him. It's the fact that like, you know, this kind of half kind of factual thing can be, uh, will extrapolate and will follow him. And he will have to say publicly that like, I did not help Jimmy Savile, uh, Jimmy, Sam- Jimmy Savile. And you'll have people who are like, hmm, someone who definitely did help Jimmy Savile uh, yeah, probably fix it for yeah. him. Like, he fixed it for me. <laughs> <laughs> but like, also, these are all the same people who have spent the last few years briefing that the Labour Party is institutionally anti-Semitic, is full of racists, and like can never be trusted. And now it, it, it has like you, you've ceded that ground to the press. You're not going to get it back just by making nice with them, right? And of course, they're going to climb up into every decision that Keir Starmer made as DPP, which is a lot. And they're going to be like, hey, this guy, did you know that this guy pretty much legalized rape in England and Wales? Doesn't matter if that's true, although it kind of is, because it's just going to stick. Very fortunate for our editorial board, actually, but we won't go into that. (laughs) But all in all, who cares? Labour, the Democrats are now basically finished. We learned over the course of like four or five years that these are bad vehicles for socialism. So yeah. Losers. 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 Need a ute for socialism. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so I want to be done talking about that for a while, and especially because it's mostly the sort of um, chattering dummies who are the main hosts of the yeah. show who have stuff to say about, uh, about Britain. However, uh, we do, of course, appreciate all of what Wendy has to say, but I'd like to steer it into the Wendy Zone. Uh, that's right. We are going back to Silicon Valley. So, Wendy, I want, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you today, was Silicon Valley has such a strange and particular way of responding to crises. It's got a really weird way of looking at big problems and deciding to solve them in ways that are very stupid in terms of solving the problem but very profitable in terms of earning them money or giving them PR. So can you sort of unpack that basic idea, then we can go into some examples. Mm, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. Um, and in a sense, you can't really blame the individuals involved because this is like the only way they know how to do anything. So the, the fact that Jack, Dor- Jack Dorsey just, uh, quote unquote, donated a billion dollars, end quote, um, I mean, he's, he didn't actually, obviously, but at the same time, like this is this kind of like weird philanthropy uh, that is also probably some sort of like privatize, privatization that it's the same thing as what Bill Gates is doing. It's the same as what a lot of these other billionaires are doing. And the point, it's not, he's not actually donating the money. Like we, we know that. Uh, I mean, legally he's not, he's starting an LLC. He's putting, he's transferring ownership from what I can tell of, of, uh, of Square. Yes. Shares, yeah, shares of Square, um, 20% of his wealth, and just like putting that into a company, which will make grants to people. And like, yeah, this is, you know, this is like the the kind of mindset they have. Like their brains have just been so poisoned by like the neoliberal world we live under that this seems like the most effective thing they can do. And, you know, in a sense, I'm like the fact that Jack Dorsey is doing that with his money as opposed to liquidating it and buying like another $42 million worth of houses. Sure. That's fine. I don't really care. Like it, I think in in a sense, uh, what I worry sometimes that is that the discourse around Silicon Valley billionaires 
donating money or not do- donating money is it stays too much on the level of the individual. And, you know, we're left examining they're just these people's quirks and the fact that they're all just like really weird and are, you know, they're just, they're really just like trying to buy goodwill for themselves. Like, yes, that that's yeah. true. But at the same time, we have to, we have to not forget the big picture, which is like the question of how these people have all this money in the first place, because like, you know, there's, there are grounds to criticize Jack Dorsey, no matter what he does and Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates. And it's like the fact that these people are able, are in a position where they have all this money where Jack Dorsey can put away 28% of his wealth in this like endeavor and still have enough money to just like live, just to do whatever the fuck he wants for the rest of his life. It's like that, that should be the picture here. Like that should be the thing we're talking about. And I think um, in a sense, if we just like leave it to discussing the details of what he's doing with this money, then we risk naturalizing the fact that he has all this money in the first place. Uh, because, you know, like, the, uh, why, why does Jack Dorsey own so much of Square? Why does he own so much that he's able to do this? This is not natural. The fact that um, ownership of tech companies follows like kind of a, a power law distribution, that's not natural. That's just something that is a, is a cultural norm. And we've accepted it because it, you know, it feels like very capitalist. But there are so many other ways to run these companies. The fact that we have all these billionaires in the tech industry is like a huge problem. It's not has nothing to do with the innovation in tech. It's everything to do with capitalism and the way capitalism concentrates ownership among a small number of people. And I think with this particular act of philanthropy, um, I really doubt it's going to be anything resembling um, like charity in a, in a good sense. I think it'll be closer to yeah what Zuckerberg is doing, where. Jack Dorsey is probably going to make more money from it at the end of the day, or at least he's going to buy an equivalent amount of goodwill, which is like the whole goal, right? He wants people to, he wants people to like him. And I don't even think, I don't mean this in a nefarious way. I mean, he just, he's just like this dumb guy who, you know, like most people just wants to be liked. And so I don't, Mm. I think it's like, I don't think he's evil in doing this. I, but I also don't think it matters whether he's evil or not because the whole structure is fucked up. Like the fact that he has the power to do this, that is the problem. And yeah, and it, yeah. Sorry, go, go on. <laughs> Wendy, I, I see. I, I hear what you're saying, and like it, it's so difficult though to be a materialist mm-hmm. and to be a, a good Marxist and be like, yeah, the, the the individuals here don't really matter when the individuals are so strange. Yes. Like J- the fact that Jack Dorsey dresses like an Orthodox monk and like spends fifty million dollars on amulets uh, to like go <laughs> starve himself. That that's not consequential, but it is like it's very entertaining, yeah. and so it's very difficult for me to like be like. Yeah, whatever. That's not important. That what's important is that he has all of this money for like amulets and like charms and flatteries. He's another. He's another like very low polygon count guy. He's like got like yeah. very like all of his hair and his beard is like very like square. A lot of like straight edges. It's weird. Uh, yeah, he's uh, a. <laughs> looks like Johnny Bravo. He's another, he's, a, yeah, he's he's Johnny Bravo, but uh, real simpy. But what I, other thing I find very interesting is yeah. that the the initiative itself. And you're right, Wendy. Uh, scrutinizing the initiative for itself does miss the forest for the trees but in this case i think it's interesting to look at what he actually is doing which is something called start small uh which starts with a billion dollars which is small um which is uh, he says look this is gonna f- it's a billion dollars fundraising for small dicks. going to fight coronavirus <laughs> now and then when it's done fighting coronavirus because again it's all of these things are fungible you can just make the machine that makes ventilators and then that's fine but no uh, it's then going to fund ubi but, yeah. Oh, cool. I want my just Twitter give it, just give it away. Just give it away at that point. You don't need to fund <laughs> grants into research how to give your money away by giving your money away to someone who's going to tell you how to give your money away. Just I'm, give it away. I can't. Be- no, I'm for this. I'm for this now. I can finally get paid for my tweets. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think. I think these people, like people like Jack Dorsey, they're used to a very particular paradigm of what works and that always starts with like a corporation and like some sort of tracking right you can't just give your money away because you know that would go against the whole like startup mindset where you you need you need like data so i like i think the it needs to be flavored water involved yeah exactly (laughs) kombucha you know like a really nice logo Mm. i think yeah jack dorsey is like I, i do think he kind of means well in a weird way and it's like I don't really like the guy, but I think... Yeah, but so, yeah. Did, so did Lenny yeah, of yeah. Mice and Men. He meant well, too. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, I think because of that, the fact that he meant well is like a way to kind of maybe politicize the conversation more because I have friends in tech who are welcoming this. They're like, oh, that's cool. Like, I'm really glad Jack Dorsey's doing this. I'm like, yes, sure. Be glad he's doing this. But also once we start, once the flaws of this approach become more apparent, we should recognize that even the best of these guys, like they're, they're still not good enough. Even if Jack Dorsey was just like the most self-flagellating, generous, but billionaire that ever existed, which we can't really imagine because he wouldn't really be a billionaire anymore. But then it, even if he like did everything he could, then that's still that's still not enough because the entire structure is flawed. And I think like this is kind of the, the dividing line between maybe like leftists and liberals where liberals are like, oh, you know, I recognize that Jack Dorsey is not doing that much, but at least he's doing something. Whereas I think the left line has to be something like, no, it doesn't matter what the fuck he does. As long as people like him exist... It's fucked, and we, you know, we yeah. need to like get rid of this. We're, we're seeing so many uh, stories that are like this. This inspirational landlord gave all of his tenants like two months rent off. And <laughs> my response to this has been to develop a new joke, something that the right have yet to like come up with, uh, of the concept of the nice guillotine, <laughs> where it has like a pillow and like it has like a. a it's very like planed wood, so you don't get like a splinter or something. I like. I think that if Jack Dorsey wants clout on the left, he needs to acknowledge that the only way he's going to do that is by like undeleting all of the hell dude's old accounts. <laughs> That's right. He needs more accounts I just than think ever. It's, yeah. I just think it's so funny though that Dorsey in particular has this kind of like desert mystic vibe, and yet like just giving your money away is something that he is like congenitally unable to get his head around. I would add to that though, because in you know, as as has been mentioned before, he's kind of doing what like all the other Silicon Valley um, guys are doing, but there's kind of like a weird aesthetic about it. So like maybe it's because we expect Mark Zuckerberg to just be like fucking evil, and maybe we hmm. expect other Silicon Valley guys to also be just as evil. But there's something about Jack Dorsey which is like there is like a very small but like potential world where he does kind of where he might just be able to get it. And yeah, there's a horrifying earnestness to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's there's there's like you don't do the 16 hour like air fast thing uh just for clout. There is he, he's he's a weird guy, but his weirdness is in a way that like again, this none of this matters, but it is like there's a kernel of of, of earnestness there, as you say. I think it's like a lost soul, and I think it's kind of sad that this is what capitalism does to people like at the top. It doesn't make their oh, lives yeah. more fulfilling. And all, let's not forget, he's still a billionaire. Like after give after even if all that money that he supposedly gave away were to just like vanish he's still a billionaire so the yeah. other thing to do right is to say well what's this do key bono what's this doing for dorsey and you can look at that and just say well uh no super rich person ever likes to pass up a good crisis so you can look at what bill gates did for example with um with malaria and uh yes he's is he fighting malaria of course but is he what he's done? Wait, he's friends with Trump's wife. <laughs> what he's done is he has privatized the ability to fight malaria. You now can't fight malaria in Africa without getting without Bill Gates somehow being involved. And yeah, he's maybe selling you the mosquito nets at cost price. But uh, also, what's happening? He's still selling yeah, you. He's still them. selling you're, you the mosquito you're, nets. You're giving you're giving out anti-malarial drugs in Kenya, and suddenly, like a little paperclip pops up, and it's, it's like, like oh, it looks like you're trying to fight malaria. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? You're giving away you're giving away anti-malarial drugs in Kenya, and then some guy in a hundred and fifty thousand dollar Ford F one fifty like does a donut onto your onto your front door, kicks down your door, and then takes them back to America because he's just going to overdose on them to try and fight coronavirus because that's what the president said to do. I mean, the, the the funniest thing is that after malaria, Bill Gates' next trick is like to try to monopolize the toilet. That's that's very funny to me. Yeah. That his that's his next thing. You know, I can't wait for we're gonna rent our toilets in future. I can't wait for Jack Dorsey to start monopolizing. I don't know, like the air rebreathers. We're all going to start needing. But speaking of air rebreathers, that's one of the approaches of Silicon Valley strange people to tr to to seeing there's a crisis. Dorsey has basically created a kind of fake charity private equity firm to go and privatize as much of the crisis as he possibly can. Um, whereas other other uh, uh, big CEOs and companies, such as Flexport, a freight logistics quote-unquote unicorn that, by the way, laid off half of its staff a few months ago, so probably isn't that viable a company, um, which has been buying millions and millions of dollars worth of face masks and their medical protective equipment, giving them to the San Francisco Department of Public Health. Again, this looks like generosity, but it's actually the privatization of something that should be public. 
Hmm. Well, like also we we saw some of this with more successful companies like Google just deciding to like uh give cops and like EM AMTs and stuff like uh like a few million N95 masks and uh, like my question is why did you have those? Uh, Wendy. Uh, yeah, I think what we're seeing here is like I mean on the on the face of it there is there is like an immediate explanation which is that you know in in California a lot of companies keep. Uh, N95 masks because of all the wildfires and they provide it to their employees. But the immediate question we have to ask from that is like, why is it the responsibility of an employer to provide like basic health equipment to their employees when a lot of people don't work for these companies or they don't work as full-time employees for these companies? And like what we saw during the wildfires, uh, like the last wildfire season is that you had delivery workers who don't have masks and are not provided masks, but they're the ones who are like out and about. And of course, because their employer is not actually their employer, apparently, then, you know, they don't feel the need to provide these things. And I think like, that's, that's something we should be talking about. The fact that like, a lot of these companies have a, sort of assumed the role of this, that the, the state should be assuming, like that the public sector should be assuming. And they're somehow using that as like evidence of their generosity. So it's like, you know, Facebook wants the story to be like, oh, Facebook so kindly donated all these masks that they were just hanging, they, they were just hanging on to for their employees. It's like, no, Facebook should not have to have masks for its employees at all. I, I prefer to imagine personally that Google was just organizing a huge Medfair eyes wide shut party. <laughs> yeah, Google Google had a medical kink, like that one site that just uh, the NHS bought a bunch of stuff from. No, but like I, I, I do love to live in Shadowrun. Is the thing right? I love, I love corporate sovereignty. You know what we're talking about about Shadowrun? It's yeah. Like we talked in in the in this in the season premiere of this season of Trash Future that like the, part of neoliberal capitalism as you know it being over is that things like the state and voting and what a company is and does and what employment means those definitions are all contested now. And where there is no state capacity, but a lot of demand, people like individuals like Dorsey or people like Ryan Peterson, who's like pushed Flexport into doing this, or companies like Facebook and Google are taking up the place of the state. And the state isn't great, but at least it's vaguely on paper sort of accountable to some people some of the time. The people who are taking over the functions of the state here are accountable to fucking nobody. Hmm. Yeah, we are we are now living in the world where we are governed by Elon Musk uh, getting stealing somebody's art and having them reply, Elon, can you credit the artist? And he's just like, no. Yeah, and like, yeah, and, and so yeah, I say, go ahead, Wendy, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not even that they're accountable to no one; it's that they're accountable at least on paper to their shareholders, which I would say is even worse because these the interests of these shareholders is categorically opposed to the interests of most like working people. And, and so it's like, it's not just that they're able, they're like run amok and that it's just chaotic and that they can do whatever they want. It's that they will do whatever is in the interests of the people who already have money. And Flexport is funded by SoftBank and like the layoffs that you mentioned, Riley, like uh. that was just SoftBank, um, saying all of our portfolio companies need to do layoffs so that we don't look stupid because like after we work, you know, they were just going through all these like financial issues. And it's like, that's, that's, I think that should tell us something about who actually has power. Like the, I'm, I'm sure the people who work at Flexport actually do kind of mean well, it's just that they have a very narrow, um, framework within which they're able to work. And even if they like, they actually do care about, I don't know, helping, helping doctors or whatever they're doing. Like the the possibilities that are available to them are so limited, and it all comes down to the way capital works and the the way these their companies are owned, and like the fact that they're at the end of the day accountable to shareholders more than they're accountable to anybody any other constituency. And so, like I think that's that's just like the really um, nefarious aspect that it's yeah it's at the end of the day they they answer to SoftBank. They're, they answer to SoftBank, and you just have to keep going up the chain, and you'll find that SoftBank is controlled by a strange madman. So, in a sense, actually, Alice, you weren't right when you said we were living in Shadowrun. We're living in paranoia. Mm. Ooh, friend computer <laughs> welcomes you. 
We are we are lip. Sorry, w- w- welcome to season three where we just reference role playing games to each other. <laughs> That's right. And like two people listening to this just laugh, and everybody else is just like, "What the fuck, my what?" Yeah, I, don't, I don't get this. Yeah, yeah I haven't uh, played uh, these games. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> That's fine. Of course, of course, SoftBank is run by a madman. It's Saudi. I was thinking the other day, like, how much I'd love to just, like, fuck around and become a Saudi prince, just, like, sitting on my gold yacht that barely even floats because of how gold it is. Yeah. And then I'm just, like, I'm getting really, like, fat from eating baklava, like, maybe lose a foot to diabetes as I, like, order someone to be beheaded for driving while gay. <laughs> prince Milo Ben Salman. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's great. You Because it, the... the- the solution, if we want to like take that as a metaphor and look at if we want to apply it to sort of what we're doing with like the tech industry generally, it's as though we have a giant gold boat um, and there's and it's sinking because it's made of gold. And so their solution is just to bi- keep building more gold boat on top of it. <laughs> And just keep building faster <laughs> yeah. than the sinking happens. I'm sending in more trains. Built some gold lifeboats. Yeah, I mean, it's sinking, but uh, you look good while sinking, and that's really what matters. That's right. I want to talk a little more also about how, like, how some of the more immediate ways that people are trying to help. Because, yes, we have the large mask procurements. We have the strange, the strange mask procurements. We have the weird privatized foundations. We also have lots of angel investors very strange people who are deciding to like just start doing stuff and move fast and break things like people's lungs. Yeah, the most efficient way of organizing anything Do is having shit. 50 weird guys all trying weird shit at once. So this is from this is from a few this is from a few articles that I've got some quotes from people here. Um this is really about the power of the hive and the power of the volunteers said angel investor no, not Kamala Harris again no 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 <laughs> even uh it's no the K hive would probably actually figure out a way to be to beat coronavirus using just like i don't know just f- pure concentrated fury hate just pure hate angel investor Shervin Pishavar, who's never been a- accused of anything uh who's organizing <laughs> a network to dedicate no it's not he's been accused of a lot of uh different kinds of uh, a lot of bad things a lot of bad things you libeling him record. by saying he's not been accused of anything <laughs> no he is he's, 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 like hey i've been accused of lots of stuff he's, he's a bad guy yeah uh, you're you're threatening my position as the most accused man I know he's organizing a network to dedicate 200 3D printers to making ventilators and masks. Uh, cool. So, Wendy, uh, did they have any that work? Wendy, yeah. Wendy, I'm going to throw over to you. What what's what's going on with this mindset of look, the, we have a problem. The solution is makers. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like what you were saying before. When you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. When you're this like tech mogul who's made a lot of money in tech and who's Surrounded by people who are telling, telling them that, that you know they're just brilliant and innovative and whatever, then it's like, this is of course how these people are going to think. And I think part of it has to do with the the culture of Silicon Valley, but a, lot, a large part of it just has to do with money and the fact that these people just have too much money. Like it breaks your fucking brain is the thing. And this would happen to any one of us. I don't think any one of us is exempt. Having money um, is just like having money in a world that's so striated, that's so unequal is not good for your soul. It like, it makes you see the world in this really like weird way. And it means you're unable to understand how the world actually works and you can't see your own place in it. And so in a sense, like we've failed these people, like the society has made these people into like the reverse joker where they're, they're like failed by being too rich, if that makes sense. She's just like dancing up the stairs. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. And it's like, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure some of these people would actually be quite like normal, nice people if they were placed in more humane environments that were about like solidarity. Joe, Joe Biden would be a really nice grandpa, yeah, probably. Maybe a little creepy, well, but like, you know, still nice. Yeah. The, the reverse Joker concept is absolutely perfect because what they are is... Uh, they're ca- they are fundamentally they they are desperate to impose order order control predictability and optimization on a system that fundamentally resists it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm. Because the- you introduce a little bit of order and everyone loses their minds. <laughs> 
Yeah. Just like putting out a big stack of cash that's on fire. <laughs> yeah, you're just you're just implementing a sensible risk control framework and everyone and everyone's like, ah Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are two there are two boats and on each boat there's a button that does means testing on the other boat. <laughs> so what he says is we've designed the beginnings of a 3D printable ventilator. No, you haven't. And we have a face shield mm. that we've designed, and within forty-eight hours we get the prototype. No, you don't. All I mean, of this okay. is just, you're just having fun. Yeah, this is something that like startup people love to do where it's like, there's that quote, fake it till you make it. That, I mean, I personally did believe like when I was doing a startup, just because like everyone in the ecosystem says it. It's just, it's common knowledge. You have to like, you know, fudge the numbers a bit, say things that aren't technically true in a legal sense, but it's fine. You know, only only like the, the, the press will eat it up basically. And the goal is just to sell yourself and make yourself sound good. And so- it's like, this is just how I think whether or not it's true, like what he said, I think it doesn't really matter to him because the point is just, this is how he thinks. Um, and yeah, I think there's something really sad here that these people, um, so like going back to the reverse joker thing, I think the problem is that you have these people who are like all of us kind of fucked up and maladjusted and don't really know what to do in life. And they're People, other people, more powerful people are throwing money at them and telling them that they're geniuses and that they're going to save the planet. It's like, of course, they're going to turn out kind of fucked up, kind of like unable to understand what's going on with normal people, unable to act in a way that feels like reasonable. And so, you know, you're going to have all these people like trying to hog the limelight and make it about them and just be like, oh, yeah, Silicon Valley is going to come and save the day. Whether or not they end up doing that, I think there's like some deeper kind of problem going on where Silicon Valley, um, at least like just the, the most awful people in, in the industry, they're all the sort who just feel the need to insert themselves into everything, whether or not they have expertise, which is why we had all these like random think pieces. And like, you know, Elon Musk talking about how coronavirus panic is dumb. It's like, dude, you can just like not say anything, but I don't think he sees that. And, you know, this is not unlike the kind of problems that affect people who are like, I don't know, reality TV stars or anyone who's just like been subject to too much attention where they feel like, that's they need that right like it's it's kind of broken their brain and they're just addicted to this kind of attention but like the problem with silicon valley is that they have that but they also have all these billions of dollars and they're running companies where they're like funding companies and when you conflate all these things you just get this really horrible narcissistic ecosystem of people who really really believe in meritocracy and they really believe they're geniuses even though they know deep down that they're missing something and that there's something they don't understand but they have to kind of like go on with it because the industry doesn't really tolerate like failure or people admitting that they're not as good as they think they are. And it's, yeah, it's just this monstrous thing. And in a way, like I, I, as much as I like to dunk on venture capitalists and like, just, you know, make fun of them, I do kind of feel bad for them because I think the way the industry works, the way capitalism works, it has robbed them of this like bit of humanity that allows them to relate with to other human beings in like a real way, because, you know, like, how are these people interacting with each other? Like the, Everything is just colored through this lens of money and what can someone do for me? Will this person like fund my next my next venture or like will this person introduce me to someone? And it's it's like a very instrumental way of viewing like other people. And at a time like this when coronavirus has kind of exposed so much of our economy as just essentially a scam, you know, just producing things we don't need, I think we need each other more than ever. And you know, my my kind of hope is that people in this industry including the ones on top, including the VCs, start to use this as like a time to reflect and think, okay, what is actually important? What should I, I actually be doing with my life? And hopefully they'll realize, you know, this like blockchain, whatever startup I was working on, maybe is not something the world needs right now. And maybe it's not something that fulfills me. So yeah, that was just like my little tangent. Yeah, we, we have to... We have to abolish billionaires and redistribute their wealth for a bunch of reasons, but one of them down the list is going to be as like a public health intervention for them. Yeah. <laughs> it's not it is not good for you to be a billionaire. It's like it's like rehab. Yeah. Well, it's like you know what you know I'm now just having lots of fun imagining a startup guy who's like, Oh yeah, sure, yeah, I'm cancelled just because my Wi-Fi butt plug doesn't technically make you immortal and may have been made of asbestos. <laughs> <laughs> but like I, I think the, the the dynamic that you were describing there earlier, Wendy, before you quite rightly said that these people need to be rescued from their money, uh, is is essentially that of someone who has the vacuum of competence in matters political in the state has left this vacuum 
where cele- where basically celebrity rich guys, so people who everyone knows mm. and everyone knows about, who can do more or less anything because they can just make people do whatever they want with their money. The way to understand the way to understand that is a pharaoh. Mm. That's what that is in history. It's a fucking a pharaoh. pharaoh. Awesome. Um, because of course, I, I look forward to the next four thousand years of these guys. In that yeah. case, but like, yeah, no, I, I, I feel like everyone is like atomization and alienation aren't only a, a, a disease of the poor, and oh, these people are lonely too. That's I, I feel like there, there's a deep void and a deep yearning and fucking like as much as we make fun of Marianne Williamson at least she did understand something of the national vibe and some of that vibe <laughs> was just feeling incredibly disconnected from everyone and oh. you, you you fucking you send your people out to buy a million dollars worth of what can pass for ventilators and you put the photo on twitter with your logo pasted onto the box and you hope everyone is very impressed with well, you one one thing well, that as jack dorsey said i may have banned the hell Dude, but that doesn't mean I can't miss him. <laughs> one, one, one thing I noticed was that when people were criticizing Elon Musk and others for their coronavirus um, responses, uh, so I don't know if like you remember when when the whole like LA airport thing happened, um, and they mm. were like, and no one actually knew whether Elon Musk had like sent these masks to LAX or not, and like I think it turned out that he did, but for because there was like no information, there was this idea that like, oh well, maybe he's just like posturing, and you know, even you know, as we've spoken spoken about, even like it is posturing like to a huge extent and you see in like the mentions there are people who are like oh well these people are trying they're trying their best what are you doing you're just complaining on twitter you're doing nothing you're just making a podcast you're not like elon musk you're not making these masks and it's like it's extremely funny like this level of bootlicking but it also kind of speaks to me about just this lack of kind of actual vision for the future right where, yeah. Listen, listen. If you're criticizing the Pharaoh, you're not fucking making the sun go yeah. across the sky every day. <laughs> and, it, and, and, it, and, it, and it almost like it almost feels like it's like this hangover from like the early like 2010, like the north, the north or whatever. Um, when you know startup guys were really elevated, and a lot of us did, you know, I, you know, me included, like, you know, did swallow the Kool Aid about like, oh, the, you know, they can do such better, you know, they can do like way better things than the government and everything. Um, so we don't really need a state. And I think these guys like bought into their own hype a lot. And like, I definitely see it in like the news and in like media business where, um, you know, now that they're kind of like being now, you know, now that like there are questions about how effective they are and how useful they are. And more importantly, how dependent they were on kind of like venture capital, um, you know, and they're desperately trying to cling on to these fit, you know, this idea that like, oh, we do have authority and we are at like, you know, the cutting edge of stuff and we can be better than the, when we are better than the government. So what we're going to see is like more posturing as this goes along. Um, and I think that like, however, this end is going to be really crucial to us because if we do still have this dependence on Silicon Valley to the point, like where we're willing to accept like the bare minimum from them, we can only really expect like more of their involvement in government and positions of authority going forward. And I think, you know, when the Trump second term happens, like I can definitely see that like being a real possibility. Mm. Just, I, I love the idea of like, the dumb guy analysis of this. I'm I'm a big fan of the like dumb woke guy. That's one of my favorite bits. I love the idea of the guy who was like, if only like getting a time machine back to like 1948, because we have to stop the federal government from making all of these semiconductor manufacturers concentrate in California. I, I want to go. Uh, was one more uh, uh, thing that they're doing that I want to highlight here. Uh, Silicon Valley billionaire Tom Siebel is using money and AI to fight the virus. He says, what's really, oh, cool. what's really important right now, other than COVID-19, uh, is nothing. So let's get this talent, all this energy, all this intellect, and devote those resources to the most critical problem that we're all facing. So what they're going to do is they're going to use intelligence to track the artificial intelligence to track the disease and identify where best to allocate resources. Which huh. to click, me, click on every picture that has a sick person in it. Well, I, I mean, I, 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 the problem is, right, and, you know... Um, uh, that's not what AI is good for. It's it's just it's a stupid use of a tool that's good for certain no, things. It's good for it's, it's good for making racist Twitter posts. Uh, but uh, Wendy, Wendy, what, now there's also a lot of AI fetishism going on here as well. Like, oh, we'll fight coronavirus with AI. But to, to me, that's just more hype. 
And I mean, I have my explanation for why that is based on how AI is actually very good for calibrating factory um, machinery. But I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a case of Silicon Valley people seeing a polit- political problem and assuming it's a technical problem. And like, in this case, what problems, the problems that we actually have in responding to coronavirus have more to do with just like a, the complete um, failure of our, you know, existing political structures to respond like in a reasonable way. And, and you know, in the U.S., like we're seeing quite a wide variety of different responses from like local, state and uh, federal levels. And, you know, the, the biggest problem I would say is just like the healthcare system. The healthcare system is total bullshit. It, this system was never designed to actually take care of people during a pandemic. And like, it's not obviously. And, you know, in a way I can't really blame people in Silicon Valley for like trying to put their energy towards COVID-19 as opposed to whatever, you know, enterprise marketing, marketing software they would be working on instead. It's maybe like a net win for the industry that we're, we're not having new features developed for things like that. But at the same time, I think it's um, the fact that if, if people actually believe that this is the best use of their time, then it speaks to this kind of tragic failure of imagination. It's really like narrowing of the political horizons where the only possibilities they imagine are either this like failed state um, and this like, you know, this political power vacuum where you have private companies doing everything um, or you have like, I don't know, tech companies rising to prominence and coordinating a better response. And it's just like, this, this is, it doesn't have to be this way. Like, I think what we're seeing with Silicon Valley is the, the limits of this great man um, approach to history where, you know, the, the idea that you have these like sun kings or whatever, just these really great people who are brilliant and just better than everybody else and whose brains are so much better, like that fucking inside Bill Gates brain thing. Um, and I think that w- w- like on this podcast, <laughs> we know that doesn't make sense. I think um, the rest of the world is like, there's, it's still like more mixed. There's still people who kind of do believe that it's true that if you just get these geniuses in the right positions, and if you give them like power and authority and whatever, then they'll just fix problems. I don't think that's the case. I think we need to see like a dramatic swing of the pendulum in the other direction where these people just like have less power and power goes to those who actually need it. And so we just have like a more democratic way of allocating things. The question of how that happens, of course, is like, is a much broader one. I don't really know how to get to there from here, which is partly why like what I'm trying to critique what Silicon Valley is doing today, it's hard to say it in a, in a, it's hard to like give this nuanced critique because I think people want to know, it's like, well, is this good or bad? It's like, well, it's better that these billionaires are caring about COVID-19 than just for them to like not care about it. But at the same time, like the whole structure is flawed. And it's like, that's, that's like a a weird argument to make. It doesn't really, you know, play well in, in our, just this, like in this fast, really, really fast news cycle. But I think that is like the only answer that we have to hold on to, which is that these guys just should never have been in this position in the first place. And what we need to do now is find out how we get to the point where they don't have this, the power to, you know, we're like, they're not in a position to decide whether or not we apply AI and they don't get to use AI as this like buzzword that, you know, only they have the power to determine what it means because we have much better like education and we have much better accountability for things like this. So the whole thing, the whole thing is basically just fucked is what, really yeah. what I'm saying. Well, I mean, one of the things you, we talk about, right, is how do you stop this? And one of the best ways to stop pharaohs from coming in and taking over and privatizing the state, whether you want to or not, is to try to rebuild the state such that there's no space for them to come in and privatize stuff. Um, and also just a, a note, a note sort of just on, on AI technically, it's, you say that this is a technical solution to a political problem. You're you're also right because the political problem is 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 just that we got rid of all the mask manufacturers. You can't and and analysis by its very nature is about taking things apart, looking at their component parts, and understanding them that way. And if the problem is that you don't have enough a big enough block of stuff to begin with, right? If you don't have enough stuff for everyone to begin with, you can't analyze that problem away analysis is not the right tool or at least analysis of the material is not the right tool analysis of why you have so little material is the right tool the problem uh, that socialists have now is selling that because everyone else Mm. is very keen to say no everyone else is hammering on this bolt that needs a wrench (laughs) but um i i i also am going i'm going to just uh move move us to final thoughts for a moment wendy 
have you final judgments? Uh, yeah, I think what we've talked about in this episode really just illustrates the lack of applicability of a lot of Silicon Valley's tools to the current moment. And you know what you're saying, Riley, about analysis is like, these people love the idea of approaching things from first principles and figuring figuring out like what to do based on that. And I, you know, I, I think that's a very powerful tool tool as well. I just think like it's hard to figure out what the actual first principles are. And if you're if you're just like living in this very neoliberal environment where everyone around you is kind of saying the same thing and has the same assumptions about how political systems should work, then you're not going to get down to first principles. Like you don't actually understand the alternatives of what an economy sh- could and should be. And so I, I think it's it's like it's really sad in a way because there's still a part of me that really believes in some of the ideas of Silicon Valley and this idea that you know you could just disrupt things, you can um, reimagine things, you can make things better, make them more efficient. I think there's something really powerful there. It's just right now that energy is being turned uh, toward for one, the wrong purposes. And also it's being constrained by the political economic landscape that we have, which means that like the best that these people can do during this global pandemic is say, oh, we should use AI to figure out where to distribute our limited resources. As opposed to saying like, we got to overthrow fucking like all of these systems because nothing is working. Like the fact that so many people in this country don't have health insurance, that that is like a much bigger problem to me than anything the, these guys are working on. But you know, it's it's not within their purview. Like it's not something they, they feel like they can do and, you know, for a good reason. And so I think what that, what that says to me is like the focus of Silicon Valley, the, um, the, the direction that all these people have been putting their energy in, that's wrong. That's, that's too narrow. It doesn't make well, sense. Hey, like, you know what we can do if we want to own them by their own logic, we can say to all these AI dumb fucks, you've trapped us in a local optimum. We cannot remain in this local optimum. Uh, and that's for all the machine learning heads out there. Anyway, uh, we have gone, I think we've gone a pretty good amount of time. Uh, so I'm going to say, Wendy, thank you very much for once again coming on to our show and uh, nattering away with us. Uh, everyone should buy Abolish Silicon Valley. Um, it's available on Repeater. You can get it wherever fine books are sold. I certainly do recommend it. If you want to be able to like respond intelligently to your um, lib uncle who in between trying to convince you to vote for Biden or Starmer or whatever also says that, you know, hey, maybe uh, 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 Jack Dorsey should be in charge of the government or some moronic (laughs) shit like that. I wish Jeff Bezos was an admiral, you know, things of that nature. Um, (laughs) The big Uh, good old uncle Fritzel. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I think with with all of that, I ought to say yes. Thank you for subscribing to the Patreon. Thank you to Wendy for coming and on. T-shirts. Uh, there are T-shirts. The link for those is in the bio. 15 pounds if you're a patron. Buy, Which, buy the shirts. Which, if you're listening to this, you are. So let that be known. Yeah. Um, oh, and Twitch streaming. We're doing our regular Twitch streams uh, all at 9 p.m. on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays on, tra- on twitch.tv slash Trash Future Podcast. You got to say the whole thing. Um, so do come check that out. Uh, by the time this comes out, the next game we'll be playing is, uh, I think, a shooter. And then on Sunday, we're going to be playing Hearts of Iron, where we're going to see if we can take over the world with the communist Australia again. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. I, so I think with all that said, thank you to Ginseng for our theme song. Here we go. Find it on Spotify. Listen to it early. Listen to it often. Buy the book. Buy the book. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.